0: O oh, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you've probably heard the warning before. Don't make a promise you can't keep. That's wise advice. And, and yet probably most, if not all of us, have done that very thing. We've made a promise that we couldn't keep, even though we wanted to. I'm not speaking here about promises that we have broken intentionally or, or willfully or because of neglect. That's a different matter. I'm speaking about promises that, that despite our very best efforts, we, we just couldn't keep. Maybe children, you, your parents promised to take you out to your favorite restaurant and, and you got excited and you, you got in the car and, and you drove and you, you came and it was unexpectedly closed. Or maybe your grandparents promised to come over for your birthday, and, but then either you or, or they got sick and... And so they couldn't come. Sometimes things come up, don't they? Things that we we cannot help, that we cannot control, that prevent us from keeping a promise we've made. It's a part of life, so much a part of life in this broken and fallen world that we learn to expect it. Sometimes we might even wonder that about the promises God makes. Oh, we might never say it out loud, but sometimes things that happen in the world or in our own lives can become so overwhelming, so alarming, and so even so scary perhaps, that we wonder if God can really keep the promises he has made in his word, including the promises he has made of salvation. There can be so many things that seem to stand in the way the opposition of world leaders and of our own ungodly culture to the Christian gospel the weakness in general of the church, our own weakness and shortcomings and failures, the suffering we've gone through or are going through, the foolish choices and the poor decisions we've made, and worst of all, the sins we've committed and the sinfulness of our own hearts. There can be all these things, and and maybe you can think of more things in your own life, even now as you sit and listen that leave you wondering, is God really able to keep His promises? Is He able to save? Is He able to save His people? Is He able to save me? Well, in our Advent series on the angels' announcements concerning the coming of Jesus Christ, just before and then on the night of His birth, We've looked so far at the angel Gabriel's announcements, first to Zacharias and then to Mary, the Virgin Mary. And we've seen that they're gospel announcements, haven't we? Messages that have been full bursting, really, with good news, the promise that the Lord himself is coming, and he is coming to save. Gabriel promised Mary, we saw last week, that the son she would miraculously conceive would be called Jesus, meaning the Lord saves. He would be the Son of God. He would be the long-promised Messiah, the Son of David, to whom God would give the throne of his father David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. What glorious promises, what a glorious son God promises to young Mary. And she believes him. She gladly submits herself to the Lord's will. But can God keep his promise? Well, that's the question we hope to answer from our text this morning, Matthew 1, 18-25. In this passage, we read of another angel announcement, this time to Joseph. Matthew doesn't tell us the angel's name. It might have been Gabriel. It may not have been. We don't know. But but that's not really important. what's, What's important for us is the angel's message. Because it's another gospel message showing and confirming to us that God is able to keep his promises. And so our theme for this third sermon in our Advent series is simply this, the angel's gospel message to Joseph. And we'll note three things about it. First, its important gospel role. Second, its wonderful gospel revelation. And third, its instructive gospel results. So first, the angel's message to Joseph plays an important gospel role. We see this especially in verses 18 to 20. We read in those verses, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as or after his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. Matthew's introduction, beloved, and, and, and the angel's instruction, initial instruction to Joseph tell us what an important gospel role the angel's message had. Because in the first place, it secured Jesus' right to David's throne. You Remember, we just mentioned about Gabriel's announcement to Mary that we looked at last week. He, He had said to Mary that God would give her son the throne of his father David, meaning that Jesus Christ would be the son of David, the promised Messiah, the Savior King. But now that glorious promise seems to be in jeopardy. It seems to be in danger. Joseph, you see, has found out that Mary is pregnant. She, the woman who was betrothed to him, was expecting a child. Being betrothed was an exciting time. Just like for us, when we we, we become engaged, that time is such an exciting time. It's a time of anticipation. Uh, Betrothal was was a little bit like being engaged in, in the sense that the betrothed couple were promised to each other, but, but they did not live together yet. But it was more than engagement. It, it was also like being married in the sense that the betrothal could not be broken except through a legal process of divorce. That's why Matthew refers to Joseph as Mary's husband in verse 18. And so, so Mary is betrothed to Joseph and, and no doubt Joseph as well as Mary, they were anticipating their marriage. They were looking forward to that day. But suddenly Joseph's world, his whole world, his hopes, all his hopes and his dreams come crashing down. Mary's pregnant. Now Matthew tells us that Mary's conception happened by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know that yet. From his plan to to put her away, to to divorce her, it it seems that to him there was only one possible reason Mary could be pregnant. She has betrayed him. She has broken their betrothal. She has committed adultery. She has slept with someone else. What a blow this was to Joseph. Matthew describes Joseph as a just or righteous man. He loves God. He loves God's law and he seeks to abide by it. But but now the one he had chosen, the, the woman he had looked forward to spending his life with, It seems doesn't. What is Joseph to do? Well, he decides to do something no doubt very difficult both for himself and for Mary. He decides to break off their betrothal. He decides to put her away, to to divorce her. That was the right thing to do according to, to the law in the case of a betrothed woman who had committed adultery with another man. But he doesn't want to do it vengefully. He doesn't want to publicly expose and shame Mary even though he legally could. He had the right to do that. He's a righteous man, but he's also a man of compassion. And so instead of taking her to court, as it were, he plans to divorce her privately, which in those days would mean just giving a a certificate of divorce in in the presence of two witnesses. That was his plan. But Joseph's plan stood in the way of God's promise to Mary. That her son would be given the throne of his father, David. You see, congregation, Joseph is is the link that makes it possible for Mary's son to be that son of David. That is one of Matthew's main points with the genealogy he records in the first part of Matthew 1. Even if, if Mary herself was related to David as as some think, the Gospels make very clear that the important thing is not, is not the natural, but rather the legal link Jesus had to David. And that could only come through the man, through the head of the family, through the, through the representative, the legal representative. Even Luke hints at that when he writes about Gabriel's visit to Mary, when he introduces Mary, he, before he even mentions her name, he the. The first thing he says is that she's a virgin espoused to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The the point is, Jesus could be the son of David. He could be the legal heir to David's throne, the promised Messiah, only if Joseph became his adopted father. And now that's all up in the air. Joseph is ready to divorce Mary, to cut off the relationship with her he had with her, and thereby any relationship he might have with the son that she was carrying. And if he does congregation, Jesus cannot be the son of David. He cannot be the Messiah. He cannot be the Savior. And God cannot keep his promise. Do you feel attention? Is God able to keep his promise? Can he solve this problem? Well, what does he do? He sends an angel to Joseph after Joseph has made his decision, but before he has carried it out. While Joseph was thinking about these things, the angel appears to him in a dream and tells him, Joseph, thou son of David. Notice that, son of David. Fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. Do you see with me, congregation, the important gospel role of the angel's message from God? The angel tells Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to yourself as, as, as your wife. The role of the angel's message is to stop Joseph from carrying out his plan to divorce Mary. The role of his message, congregation, is to secure Jesus' connection to David and his right to David's throne so that he can be the son of David, so that he can be the Messiah, so that he can be the Savior. Oh, beloved congregation, the angel's message to Joseph calls and encourages us then, doesn't it? It Encourages us all to trust in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, no matter what may seem to be standing in the way. God is able to keep his promises, including his promises of salvation. He is completely and absolutely trustworthy and reliable. The angel's message secured Jesus' right to David's throne. That was part of its important gospel role. But but there's another part. It also assures us of God's faithfulness to those who trust and submit to him. Take think here of, of last week's sermon, of Gabriel's announcement to Mary, how Mary trusted, didn't she? She trusted and, and she submitted to God's call on her life to be the mother of his son, despite knowing, despite knowing that when Joseph heard of it, he could very well divorce her. Despite knowing that she could be publicly shamed and humiliated, she submitted herself as the handmaid, as the slave, literally, of the Lord. And what does the Lord do? What does the Lord do with his servants? He cares for her, doesn't he? Also with the angel's message to Joseph. He ensures that he who by grace had had, had believed and given herself for the Lord will be taken care of. That she will be protected. And most importantly, by making sure that Joseph marries her and thus securing Jesus' right to David's throne, God ensures that her faith and submission to him is not in vain. The angel's message assures us that God will never forsake those who trust in him. He will take care of them. He took care of Mary. And he will take care of you. Each of you who belong to him by faith. Yes, it may be in a way different than Mary. He doesn't always provide a husband. He doesn't always restore a marriage or other relationship. He doesn't always deliver us from false accusations in this life. He sometimes does let hard things happen in our lives. Things that we maybe don't understand. Things that we can't figure out. But at the same time, The angel's message to Joseph assures us that he always faithfully leads and protects and preserves his people. He preserves their faith. He never forsakes them. He never drops them. He never leaves them to fend for themselves. In the words of Psalter 263, he remembers mercy faithful to his own. Oh, doesn't that give you and doesn't that give me so much reason to trust Him and submit to Him? Doesn't that give us so much reason to bow gladly in submission to King Jesus? But maybe that's exactly your struggle. Maybe you're afraid the Lord Jesus isn't able to save you, that He isn't able to help you. Well, that brings us to our second point. The angel's message doesn't just play an important gospel role. It also contains a wonderful gospel revelation. See, the angel doesn't simply stop at telling Joseph to take Mary to himself, as wife. In verses 20 and 21, Matthew tells us what else the angel said. And then in 22 and 23, by the inspiration of the Spirit, Matthew adds his own commentary on what this all meant. So let's pick up with the angel's message in the middle of verse 20. The angel says, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now, and and this is Matthew's commentary now, Matthew's words, All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. What a wonderful gospel revelation concerning Jesus. Jesus showing us how able he is to save and to help all who look to him. In the first place, notice with me, the angel's message reveals that Jesus' conception is unique. The angel encourages Joseph not to be afraid to take unto himself Mary, his wife, by informing him that the child she is carrying is not from another man, but from the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, it would have been a relief for Joseph to hear this, Now he knew that Mary had not betrayed him. She had not committed adultery. But what an amazing revelation it was too. Mary's son congregation was not only miraculously conceived. He was uniquely conceived. He was conceived not as a result of procreation. He was conceived as a result of creation. That's what the role of the Holy Spirit implies. The same Spirit who, who, children, you remember was present in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 2. The Spirit hovering over the face of the waters, present at creation and involved in creation. That same Spirit is now present and involved and active, instrumental in Mary's conception of Jesus. Beloved, that's a wonderful gospel revelation. You see, Jesus' unique conception by the Holy Spirit is what makes Jesus able to save. For Jesus to be able to save from sin, he had to be separate from sin. He had to be without sin. He had to be spiritually alive. But all people who are naturally conceived are conceived and born in sin because of their their connection, their union with Adam. They are spiritually dead. That's all of us. So the only way Jesus can be the Savior from sin is to be uniquely conceived, to be conceived as a new creation by the Holy Spirit. And the angel's message confirms, confirms that he was Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit congregation is absolutely essential to the gospel. That's why we confess it every week in the Apostles' Creed in the afternoon sermon uh, service. Do you, do you ever think of that? Do you ever... Uh, it, it can become so routine. I know. reading of the law, the Apostles' Creed, it is so easy for our minds to wander. But do you ever think... As you say those words, which is what you should be doing when, when the, the, the minister, whoever leading the service, is saying them with his mouth. When you say those words with him in your heart, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Do you ever think that what you're confessing with those words is Jesus is able to save. Oh, beloved, the uniqueness of Jesus' conception offers hope to every sinner here this morning. He is able to save you. But the angel's message reveals not only that Jesus' conception is unique, it reveals also that Jesus' success is sure. The angel tells Joseph what what Gabriel had told Mary in almost exactly the same words. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. The Lord saves But the angel's message to Joseph also explains the significance of that name with some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture For he shall save his people from their sins. In other words, congregation, Jesus' name doesn't signify a mere hope, a mere possibility of salvation. It signifies the certainty of salvation. He shall save. And whom shall he save? His people. But who are his people? All those who trust in him. All those who come to him. All those whom the Father draws to his Son. He shall save all those. He shall save his people. And he shall save them from the greatest evil. He shall save them from their sins. By his blood, by his blood, he shall save them from the guilt of their sins. By his spirit, he shall save them from the power of their sins. When he calls them to their, their heavenly home he shall save them from the presence of their sins and when Christ comes again and glorifies and raises their bodies to be together with him he shall save them from all the consequences of their sins he shall save them from their sins can there be a more wonderful revelation than that What an encouragement. What an encouragement to come to Jesus with all your sins, no matter how bad they are, no matter how many they are, no matter how hopelessly enslaved you may feel yourself to be in them at this very moment. From sin and evil, we sang it, mighty though they seem, His arm almighty will hear a sermon about God's arm this afternoon. His arm almighty will His saints... Redeem. Don't some of the names Matthew lists in the first 17 verses prove that? Think of idolatrous Abraham who served other gods until God called him out of Ur. Think of deceiving, self-sufficient Jacob. Think of self-centered Judah. Think of the harlot Rahab Think of adulterous and murderous and backsliding David. Think of even that wicked king, Manasseh, who dared to set up idols in the very temple of God, who made his own children pass through the fire as a sacrifice to his idols, who practiced witchcraft and occultism, who made Judah to do worse than even the heathen people around them, who shed, the Bible says, so much innocent blood. And yet the Bible tells us that when God afflicted him, he humbled himself greatly before God and he prayed and he sought the Lord and the Lord heard him and he saved him. If God can save people like this, if God can save someone like Manasseh, then how can you think? How can you think he's not able to save you? Well, then don't stay in your sin. But turn from it. Turn from sin. Hate sin. Flee from your sin and run to Jesus Christ, the one who shall save all his people from their sins. All who come to him. All who look to him. Jesus' success is sure. And we know that even better than Joseph did that night. Because we know, we know from the word of God that Jesus not only came, he gave his life. He died on the cross under God's wrath and curse in the place of sinners like you and me. And God accepted him. The empty tomb is proof of that. Oh, then come. Come to Jesus, all of you, each of you. Come to him, dear child. Come to him, dear young person. Come to him. Single ones, come to, come to him, married persons. Come to him, whoever you are, with all your fears, with all your struggles, with all, yes, with your hard heart. Come to this Jesus. Don't hold back. Don't think your sin is too strong for the Savior. Jesus' success is sure. He shall save his people from their sins. What a wonderful gospel revelation with the angel's message to Joseph. But Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, adds even more. In verses 22 and 23, he, he says that all this, meaning not only Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, but, but also the angel's message to Joseph securing Jesus' connection to David, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus' coming fulfills the Emmanuel prophecy. Children, do you know? Do you know how many years before Matthew said that before Jesus came. How many years before Jesus came that prophecy was given? It's a prophecy found in Isaiah 7 verse 14. About 700 years before. Now we don't have time this morning to go into Isaiah 7 and consider the meaning and the message of that prophecy back then for those people. And admittedly for myself, it's, it's a difficult passage to understand but, but the revelation that Jesus' coming fulfills the Emmanuel prophecy does make clear two things. First, that God can and will keep his promises, no matter how long ago he's made them. And second, Jesus is able. Jesus is able to save because he is Emmanuel. God with us. That really says it all, doesn't it? God with us. God with us. God with us. How can you still doubt Him? How can you not trust Him? How can you not submit to him? Oh, doesn't this wonderful gospel revelation stir you up to come? Yes, come as we sing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Doesn't it stir you up? Yes, also to live by faith in him and thankful obedience to him. We, we see that in Joseph, don't we? As we come now to our third point, the instructive gospel result of the angel's message. In verses 24 and 25, we read this. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, one of the interesting things about Joseph is in the scriptures is that we never hear him speak, he, he's silent. Mary speaks on several occasions, but but never Joseph. Now, I'm sure he did speak, but the Bible never records his words. And yet we can learn so much from him. Also from his response as a gospel result, as the gospel fruit of the angel's message. Teaching us, ultimately, that the gospel is indeed the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Notice, notice with me, first of all, his immediate obedience. What, what does verse 24 say? Children, if you, have your, if, you, if you have your Bibles open, you can look at verse 24 and, and look. What, what does it say? Does it say that Joseph woke up from his dream and, and thought about what the angel said for some time? Does it say that he woke up and then he, he called some of his friends and family to, to ask them what they thought the dream meant or, or what he thought they should do, what they thought he should do? No. Verse 24 says that then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden or commanded him and took unto him his wife. He immediately obeyed. That was his response to the angel's gospel message. And isn't that so instructive for us? What is your response? What is my response? What is our response to the good news concerning Jesus Christ, whose conception was so unique, whose success is so sure, who in his coming in our flesh is God with us? I don't need him. Not interested. Let me keep sleeping. Let me have a little fun in life first. I'll get to it later. I'm too busy. It's up to God if he wants to save me. What is your response to the gospel message concerning Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners? Oh, should it not be to immediately obey the gospel call? Should it not be to flee to Jesus Christ, to forsake your sin today while it is still the day of grace? Oh, you say, but I can't. But you must go with your I can't to the one who can do all things because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And should not our response then also be, dear congregation, to do all that we know from his word he calls and commands us to do without hesitation, no matter what other people, whether that's our family, whether that's our friends, whether that's other people in the church. To do what he calls us to do, to trust and obey our Savior and Lord with hearts full of thanks to the one who gave himself, even to death, the death of the cross for us. How can I I do that? How can I obey when it's so hard? Remember who Jesus is. God with us. He wasn't just God with us when he was here on earth. He is God with us today. Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew to his disciples, after commanding them to teach all nations to observe whatever he has commanded them, "Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. That's what enables your and my immediate obedience. And that's also what enables our humble self-denial. Humble self-denial. You see that too in Joseph's response. His act of taking Mary as his wife in obedience to the angel's message congregation was an act of self-denial. You see, by taking Mary... As his wife, in obedience to the angel's message, after she had become pregnant, he was risking his reputation. He was risking being falsely accused of committing fornication. And yet he married her. He humbly denied himself. And what's more, that son that that she was carrying and that son that would be born, he, he could never lay any claim to that son. He could never look at that son with pride and say, he belongs to me. No. Humble self-denial. That's what the gospel calls for. And perhaps, perhaps his humble self-denial comes through most clearly of all in verse 25, which says that Joseph, after taking Mary as his wife, knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. To put that plainly, Joseph had no sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus' birth. What a demonstration of humble self-denial. It could not have been easy. He was a man, but he he did it in honor of God's word. A word which said that a virgin shall not only conceive, but also bring forth or give birth to a son. And he did it as a witness for the gospel's sake that the world might know. That we might know that the Son in Mary's womb was most certainly Emmanuel, the Savior of sinners. Dear fellow men, young men, older men, married or unmarried, would you have done what Joseph did? What does your behavior and life show? Oh, yes, Joseph's situation was unique. I understand that. But it hardly needs to be said that today, the world today knows nothing of self denial in this area at all. It's all about self gratification, and not just in this area, in every area. And the reality is, that's us, all of us. That's what we live for by nature, to gratify ourselves. And the reality is, we can't change ourselves. Maybe you've tried. Maybe you've tried and you, you, you've realized you can't do it. Or oh, maybe you can change some ext- external things, but you cannot change your heart. You can't. I can't. But there is someone who can. There is someone who changes hearts. His name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel, the one who humbly denied himself the glory that he had with his Father. And made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a servant. And became man, becoming man, in order to lay down his life. So that he might take it up again. And by his Holy Spirit, renew hearts, change hearts, transform lives. So that in lowliness of mind, we might each esteem others better than ourselves so that we might humbly deny ourselves in loving obedience to God and in service to others. Oh, heeding the gospel call does, does come with a cost. It requires self-denial. Jesus made that very clear in his own ministry. But we see that self-denial coming out in Joseph by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the root of that obedience, congregation, the root of that self-denial was not Joseph's own willpower. It was his believing confidence, his spirit-worked faith in the gospel. That's what we see in the last words of our text. And he called his name Jesus. We don't know, congregation, how much time passed between the angel's message and Mary's giving birth. But we do know this it would have been enough time for Joseph to have begun to question and to doubt. Because the reality is that by nature, we need hardly any time to do that. You can be hearing the gospel in church and be questioning it and doubting it already on the way home. Even maybe while you're still sitting in church. And Joseph could have done that. He could have begun to question himself. It was just a dream. Why should I trust it? But he didn't. No, he believed. He trusted. He put his confidence in the angel's gospel message as the word of God so that when the time finally came that the baby was born, he gave the baby that wonderful, precious name, Jesus. Well, congregation, we're not Joseph. We've not been told to call Mary's son Jesus. He already has that name. But we are told to call upon his name, to put our confidence in his name, for there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Beloved, where is your confidence this morning? Where is my confidence? Oh, may God forgive us for every time we put confidence in ourselves or in someone or something else for our salvation. No, but let us put our trust in him. Let us keep trusting in him. He never makes a promise he cannot keep. For all the promises of God in his Son, Jesus Christ, are yea and amen unto the glory of God. 아멘